This episode features discussion on PTSD and mental health, content that may be upsetting or triggering to some. Resources have been posted in the bio, and if you don't feel comfortable listening to these topics, then please skip this episode. Welcome back to the Sick of It podcast. Today's back to Sherilyn, who is represented by Anya at Champion Health Agency, and we discuss what it's like to suddenly become disabled and to deal with a life-changing accident. Okay, so can you just start by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Sherilyn. I'm 31 years old. I live um, in sort of halfway between Sydney and Canberra at the moment. Um I have a wonderful partner who's very supportive and like his family are amazing and I've got a really amazing supportive family too. Grew up a bit of everywhere. I had um, my dad did a job that may have, was the reason why we moved around quite a fair bit so I didn't really stay put for too long but I've travelled a bit and that's probably a quick sum up of of myself really. <laughs> and can you tell a us about your health journey and like your story yeah absolutely so my my uh a high-speed motor vehicle accident um in january 2021 it was a single car accident um traveling along a country road approximately about 10 o'clock at night um we like i had been drinking earlier that day uh and so I ended up making our way out to a place called Captain's Flat where I met up with one of my other friends who was the driver. Um, and it was herself, myself and a third passenger who was in the back seat. So I was in the front seat um, and we were travelling from Captain's Flat. I haven't been told where we were travelling to. It would have either been to Queen Bee and Canberra Way or back to Bungendore Way. Um, and... So what's happened is we were travelling along Captain's Flat Road and the car, this is from what the police have told me because I don't remember anything, so the car's veered off the road for approximately 40 metres. Um, we've approached a guardrail. Uh, the driver has overcorrected um, and spun the car completely around at in between 80 to 100 kilometres an hour. Um, the car's hit the side of the, hit the guardrail on, on its side. I flipped over a creek, nosedived into a paddock, and rolled several times after that. So, uh, and I was ended up being ejected through the windscreen. Um, so, police reports state that I was wearing a seatbelt, um, but I believe what's happened is it's like I'm, this isn't sure. This is just me trying to piece it together. Is I've taken the top part of the seatbelt off, which is something that I've would do if I was a passenger because it rubs my neck which is a stupid excuse I know but um but the damage that was done to like my pelvic area states either the cars landed on me or the or my seatbelt um that seatbelt there has just completely crushed everything <laughs> in there really so uh, I severed my femoral artery in the accident which is probably my um most like well we all know that that's can be fatal quite quickly um headed off to Canberra hospital. Like I said, the guy who was in the back seat saved, kept me alive by up through CPR um, until the ambulance got there, took me through to Canberra hospital. And that's where I um, woke up. So after that, many months in hospital, I was the most critical in ICU for four weeks and um, spent seven months altogether in hospital before I was able to be let out. Um, recovery has been 
really tricky. My brain has tried to keep myself protected. Um, so over this last Christmas break um, is when the like a, a quite a post-trauma side has hit in. The reality has become quite real uh, and it's taken two years to get there, but I've just started this sort of post-trauma journey and it's been quite confronting. So there's no really quick way to say all of, all of that altogether, but I hope that gives the idea that you're after. And so what was the first thing you remember then after the accident? Oddly enough, the first thing I remember is seeing both my parents um like my mum and dad over standing over the top of me, which is really strange because they hadn't been in the same room for 15 years. <laughs> so I instantly thought I just, um, I was having a bad dream or something really bad had happened. And then I realised um, that I couldn't breathe and because I had a breathing tube in both my lungs collapsed. So when I started panicking and I went to pull that out, they put me back to sleep. Like a lot of like nurses and things that, quite surprised and I remember that with the um, drugs that they give you to help you forget. And if you're okay with it, can you run us through your injuries for the accident? Sure. So from basically top to toe, really, we'll go, is I, um, so I broke my left arm. I had both of my lungs um, collapsed and um, were filled with like blood and, and liquid. Um, so I had two tubes in either side. Um, my kidneys failed from all the damage, um, so I was on dialysis. Uh, I had a tear, a tear to my bowels, so I had to have an emergency uh, colostomy bag put on. Um, and then I had uh, my bladder exploded, so I had to have that rebuilt down right through to through my urethra. Um, my I had tubes in my stomach that would get the urine out of like my stomach cavity where all my organs are plus a, um, a catheter for like that came out through my stomach plus also uh, so, so I, I can't remember the names of them now what they are um, basically I had three tubes for to get rid of urine um, so I snapped the head of my left femur and um, severed the blood supply uh, to my so to my right femur I broke severed the blood supply to my left side I smashed my pelvis um I had a glass bottle bottle between like it was a, a vodka cruiser that I must have been holding between my legs at the time of the accident which smashed so I had I've had um damage to um yeah, quite a fair bit of damage to that area as well um I'm just trying to think of the other ones, I know that the list does go on quite a lot, but they're the ones that I could think of. Um, what permanent damage symptoms has that caused? So permanent damage, um, so I had to have my left leg amputated um, and I only have, so it's quite, it's a really high amputation. So I've, that's, I think I had about less than 10 centimetres of femur left. Um uh, permanent damage so yeah no no left leg um nerve like chronic nerve pain um phantom limb so I can still feel it there um my bladder will probably never be go back to being quite the same um everything else with the colostomy reversal that's been fine the so that goes for physical damage aside from the scarring and all of that but um pain 
a lot of pain from like so my because the sacroiliac joint has been screwed into place from where they had to hold my pelvis together for six weeks um the pins and screws in my right leg but the, the main one being has left me as, as an amputee and you were relatively like healthy before this right you didn't have any medical issues before no so I've had like I've had sort of a couple of the standard things I've had like my gallbladder removed um appendix removed mm-hmm. that sort of thing but yeah no I was I was quite unappreciative of life and my health if I was to look back on it now so what was that like going from, you know, pretty healthy, normal to suddenly have all these problems, suddenly an amputee? The first the first part of it was I think that I was just on so many medications in hospital that it was it almost sort of like merged as if it was normal. Like originally I thought I um originally I thought I had lost complete feeling to from like the waist down because I couldn't feel um I couldn't feel my leg and that took my parents my mom really struggled with telling me that I had lost my leg um yeah so that was quite quite something really um and then my memory sort of starts becoming stronger around March so it took about three months for it to come around and that was when things were sort of settling in as in like okay I'm in bladder retraining like I've woken up on my 30th birthday with a wet bed as opposed to my 29th birthday which was completely different (laughs) obviously um and then learning how everyone said like the recovery part was going to be the hardest process like um, rehab and things like that but my brain just sort of wasn't really with it it just wasn't real I kept thinking that I would just wake up so, um, but as the reality has come in a lot more stronger now, it's terrifying knowing that it's not coming back and that it's the process. I may get a little emotional <laughs> just because I have been struggling. <laughs> I have been really struggling with the um, with the fact that it's not coming back and the way that I will be able to walk again is terrifying um so I've gone through the process of prosthetics and if I can have a a socket prosthetic and my leg is too short and the way my scarring is it's just going to be way too painful so even though I've had my bone grown by an extra 10 centimeters I'm still not suitable for a socket so my only option is osseointegration which is not new new but not a lot of people have heard of it and you know if there's anything you don't want to talk about just say I don't want to talk about it but yeah how has that been like mentally it's yeah it's been it's been really really tricky these last so on boxing day um so Christmas day not last year the year before so my first Christmas after the accident um I wasn't expecting it at all. So I, cause I moved, I completely moved areas so I could have somewhere that was wheelchair friendly. So I moved about an hour away from my family. So I was driving from, this is just a bit of background on like where the mental stuff started. So I was driving back from, from my home to my brother's house on Christmas day, the, that first Christmas. Um, and like I started having, like the road started moving weird and like the, the white lines in the middle of the road were going slower and slower and I became like went into like a panic attack to 
to the point where I had to pull over um, and call my brother to come and get me because I couldn't drive any further. That would have been much too dangerous for not just myself, but everyone else on the road. So, um, and I feel like it was my, uh, because it was one of my last memories because it's taken so long to regain those memories for the first few weeks before the accident is that um, I think it was one of the first memories my mind was having um, because I drove to my brother's house for Christmas those few weeks before my accident. So it wasn't on the road I had my accident on. It was, but it was um, just, yeah, one of the last memories. So there was that one and that one, my anxiety was so bad. My colostomy bag ended up like ex basically exploding off my body because the stress just basically showed straight through. Um, this year, this, this just past Christmas day, I was expecting that again, nothing. I was completely fine. I was having a great time with my partner's family and him and we're having a great day. Saw my brother and his partner and my nephews the day before, expected something weird to happen then. Sorry, I'll correct myself there, not something weird. It's um, an, epi an episode that I, uh, but I was okay. Um, and then Boxing Day, uh, Boxing Day night, I just kept seeing my mum's face, my dad's face and my brother's face and everything was like, oh my God, that time in hospital was all actually real. And that they put all of their lives on hold to be there with me and that they're still right there for me. And so that it hasn't just affected myself, but it's affected everyone around me, uh, everyone who loves me. And coming to terms with that has been really difficult. Um, and just the fact of looking down, seeing my leg is gone, and that one thing that really gets me so like I get like I just get emotional because I'm just still learning about it like this is I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it it just gets a little bit tricky sometimes so um the one of the hardest things for me at the moment is because mm -hmm. I'm with the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life and when I look down and see my leg gone I'm envision myself the way you know when you're a young girl you envision yourself in this beautiful wedding dress and you walk down the aisle and like you have your dad pass you over and the reality of that I'm never going to look the same or how I envisioned in that is hard for me to get around um even though I know there are dresses and ways to do it and I know it's just a society thing it's like saying you know, they have such a typical, like, beauty image that's destroyed people. And it's like, I will look beautiful on my day. I know I will. But getting my head around that part first, and, and it's all just about learning and different coping mechanisms. Um, so that's been hard. The other thing that's been scaring me mentally at the moment is I look at, I can go into an episode and realize that my leg's gone and like all this medical stuff is real. And then I look to go, I go to look to my partner and I know he looks familiar, but I don't know where from. And that's happened to not just with him, but like my doctor, my physio, my partner, my whole part, all my partner's family. It hasn't happened to my own immediate family yet but I it's so terrifying that I'm going to get stuck 
there and forget who they are but I know that it's just the um the post-trauma side of things that I will work around and be able to work through yeah I hope you know that like you are doing amazing like this wouldn't be an easy process for anyone like overnight your life changed and it's always like no matter who you are it's always going to be adjustment and it's not going to be something that gets fixed in like a month like you're not just going to get over in a month it's going to take time and it's going to take years you know as you know obviously I'm not an amputee but as someone who's like born with a disability that's completely different like I've never known anything else but to go from being like healthy to having something in so intense happen to you like that's gonna be an adjustment yeah and it is the adjustment thank you first of all thank you that was that's okay um the adjustment well yeah when you said adjustment there's um my old psychologist was mentioning something about an adjustment disorder because when I was living with a friend at the time upstairs above her shed I had a um a little apartment type thing on her property so I couldn't move back there I couldn't live with my mum because she lived on the top floor of an apartment building with no stair um, with no elevator my dad lives on a rural property so it just wasn't ideal I wouldn't have been able to get around in my wheelchair there um without constant help um uh so I had to move I had a bald spot on the back of my head as well from being on my back for so long so I had to completely I cut off all my hair I relocated an hour away from where I was used to I pushed my partner away because my partner and I met a few weeks before my accident so I, I pushed him away so I didn't have him I, I had myself and my two cats in an apartment and I think my brain really protected me for quite a long time and now it's saying okay now you're in a position where you've got help and you know you're not scared to ask for help anymore even though it's you know no one likes asking well I don't feel like people like asking for help unless they absolutely have to and even then on some levels it can be like you lose a bit of I don't know how to put it properly but from being able to do anything and just so take that for granted to be able to have you not ask for help for basic things and then I try I push my body to points where I shouldn't purely just to try and pretend like nothing's happened but now that I know that I can reach out for help and I have I do have really good support around me that it's going, okay, I think it's time that we start going through this. And has it caused any other mental health illnesses like anxiety, PTSD, depression? Yeah. So I had, I had um, social anxiety before and I had, um, they, yeah, I had depression before that was, um, that was managed and anxiety when managed when I was younger but then as I got older I um, started to self-medicate um, so I have a history of um, drug and alcohol abuse to myself so um, yeah there was, there was that that I was trying to get around but after I've yeah I've been when I was diagnosed with ADHD just when I was 29 so just oh no 28 
but because of my past, it's taken a long time to be able to get on that right medication. And then I finally got on that right medication and it's become conflicting with my post-trauma. So yeah, I've got um, social anxiety, anxiety, depression, post-trauma, ADHD, and we're looking into the fact that there's something that it's been long, like long all my life, but only just sort of being looking at diagnosing now with OCD. So you've been doing some work to raise awareness. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I do some, and it, and it has been really healing for me too. So I work very closely with a program that run out of the Canberra Hospital here, um, and it's called uh, Party. So that stands for Prevention of Alcohol and Risk-Related Trauma in Youth. And so I get to have the opportunity to be their injury ambassador where we go around to year 10 kids who are about to get their license and we get to go to their schools. They used to do an in-hospital program, but then COVID came. So the one of the trauma leaders um Nardine she was actually in my family meeting when they were discussing with my family when they still didn't know that I was going to make it or not so it's great to be able to work with her who's known me from the very beginning um and that's so they the kids get taught the young adults get taught um CPR like how to put someone in a position um if they feel like they could um have, might have their airways obstructed if they start you know, throwing up from alcohol or you know, they talk about drugs and what's out there and how to how basically how to just be safe. We know that they're going to go off and do these things, but how to be safe about it. Um, and I then I at the so they get all the information um, throughout the day, and then I come in with my best friend Dominique, who s- sits with me, and we talk to the kids about my journey and how I got there, what my life was like before, and what my life is like now um and we are, then I sort of interact with them a bit and I to ask try and get them to guess how fast the car was going you know if it was speeding what we we're doing um and what the alcohol reading might have been or you know under the influence it was low reading mid or high and all of them like basically say 150 high range or like there's only an odd couple that guess the lower ones and when I tell them that it was the speed limit for that road's 100 kilometers an hour and the police predict we're doing between 80 and 100. And then the fact that the reading from the driver actually came back as a low range reading, everyone's blown away. And we can, Dominique and I can keep, and teachers even come up to me afterwards and they're like, we have never had 100. I went to an all boys school. <laughs> There's one, 100 boys, teenage boys, dead silent for an hour while we spoke. And um, so it's, that feeling is very, um, very healing for me because if I can just help, you know, a few people, like everyone says, if I can just save one person's life, but, you know, if I could save everyone's life from it, oh, it's so good to be able to have them sit silent and have them actually engage and listen to what, out of someone who thought it would never happen to me, that it can and why would I ever think that it can't? I think that's such a great way to do it. Like I remember in high school when they try to do those type of things, they just have someone stand up and do a presentation, and, but it doesn't, you don't register it. Like you don't pay attention. It's just boring. But to have someone there who's been through it 
and just a regular person who wasn't even doing anything that crazy, like you weren't driving that, like they weren't driving that fast and to see what can happen like so quickly and easily, I think that's such a great way for them to actually register it. Yeah, and the the, the reasoning as to why we sort of veered off the road, the road a bit, originally it was thought to be um, being on the phone, but then been told by police later that it was literally just going to change a song on one of these screens that comes standard with the car that you can touch while driving and that's like you know I was incredibly intoxicated so I was apparently dancing around the car mm-hmm. and it was like oh okay as like you yeah. know as most people do when they're having a few drinks and yeah it all just went very wrong very quickly but I am also incredibly 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 blessed to still be here and to have because I would have lost oxygen to my brain for quite some time to have reflected as no brain damage like I can be quite independent still as for for what it could have been and how easily it could have been a fatality I'm incredibly incredibly blessed and what advice would you give to someone who maybe going through a similar thing like maybe they suddenly have an illness or a disability what advice would you give to them oh there's it yeah there's so many different things I could say like one I just want to like wrap my hands around around you and give you a big hug because like things will happen out of nowhere like the grief will hit you out of nowhere and if so if you're able to I use the gym as a good outlet um, when I'm able to drive. Um, I find that that gives me uh, that big independence feeling as well as I can get a lot of anger out there. Um, so if you're able to do try and do something for yourself in a healthy way um, or make sure you've got your circle and don't be scared to ask for help because the people that love you, will do anything they can to help you and don't ever be scared to reach out and to try and find help or reach out to someone who you find on social media, you know, just keep trying and don't give up because there will be a time where things will be at peace and don't ever stop trying to find that. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you for being so vulnerable and open. I know it; it's not easy, but it is going to like, reach people and impact people with you being so open where can people find you so I just do um for my for this journey I have an Instagram which is just at underscore oh no at my underscore one underscore legged underscore life so um but with I struggle putting stuff out there when I'm going through some down time so I post as much as I can on there and if anyone is going through something similar or feel like they you know I will I do my best to either guide you in a right way once I've spoken to people that actually have a mental health first aid certificate so I can give the right advice or I'm just happy to be there to chat but when I am on I'm on but when I'm off I'm off Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to get our episodes every two weeks and to leave a review if you are enjoying the podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sick of It Podcast and Instagram at Sick of It underscore podcast. I'll talk to you soon.